Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Socks Machine. Jim Margulis, co-host of the Socks Machine podcast. It's either pure stubbornness or hubris, but there's no case for... Larry batting third. The internet's longest running White Sox podcast. That period of time where the White Sox were spending over $50 million on the bullpen makes me think there was some mismanagement. And I think the Kimbrel trade bailed him out a little bit. Managing editor of SoxMachine.com. Rick Hahn often manages the team like he's going to be the one cleaning up the mess eight years from now. If they do sign that Marcus Semien deal, if they do sign that Manny Machado contract, like other GMs would say, I'm going to go for glory and at least have a ring to show for it. Jim Margulis with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machines. Socks machine. It's pretty badass, right? Like that. Like that intro. Mark Rohde filling in for Lawrence Holmes here. Got another hour of the show. We are going to talk White Sox with Jim Margolis of the White Sox machine here in just a second. I just got the worst possible text message that I could have read at this moment. I just made a big mistake. There's a text message with one of our wonderful patrons, listeners of the score, saying that I used the word like too much. This is terrible. I should not have read that because now it's going to be in my head that I use the word like too much. So I have made a critical error that I am going to attempt to play through for the next 55 minutes of the Lawrence Holmes show here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score of the hour is brought to you by Busey Bank. And let's just talk about these White Sox because... Jim Margulis is on the line from Sox Machine. He joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. So I guess, Jim, everybody spends the day thinking about yesterday's uh, Red Sox cremation of the White Sox, 16-7. to Been a little bit of a festival of runs against the White Sox lately, has it not? It has, and I guess the silver lining is that the Cubs uh, gave up a ton of runs themselves, so nobody enters this Crosstown <laughs> series feeling good about themselves, and, and I guess everybody's more or less tending to their own yards. So true, so true, and uh, so but both teams are going to want a piece of the other in that regard, not not because they really care about each other or the rivalry, but, but, but because both teams, especially the White Sox, need to get back on track. But let's talk about 
Dallas Keuchel to start here. Another mm-hmm. awful night last night. Two innings, allowed six runs on seven hits, two home runs. He now has an ERA near eight, 782 to be specific for Dallas Keuchel. Where are you on him? Should he be gone now? Should he have been gone yesterday? And do you think that there will be a move made? I'm of the mind that right now he is clearly the fifth starter. If he's not there, Davis Martin probably moves in to be the fifth starter. And with the other four starters, he's Giolito, uh, you know, with Cueto stepping up and being, you know, looking like he's somebody who can contribute. That's like a, a, a bonus to where Keiko really doesn't matter too much. There are going to be some interchangeable fifth starters. Most teams deal with uncertainty in that spot. Uh, so, you know, he struggles. It's, it's hard to watch. His quotes are tough to read or listen to afterwards because I think he's trying to talk himself into something he may no longer be and everybody else has to go along for the ride. But ultimately, the White Sox problem is offense. So, you know, I look at the fifth starter spot and say, yeah, it's, it's worth some attention, probably sooner rather than later, but there are bigger fish to fry. I, I think what I'm waiting for right now is – with the Toronto series coming up next week, you know, we don't yet know with the White Sox, you know, who may or may not be able to make that trip, hmm. you know, due to the vaccination requirements. So they may need some extra players on hand just to fill out a roster or a rotation. You know, from what we know about the White Sox, they've been pretty good at it uh, in terms of you know, maintaining their numbers and, and getting everybody or most everybody on the program. So I'm not inclined to think it's going to be a huge problem, but that's one variable I can see at this specific point in time that makes me think, well, maybe they just need one more arm for one more week. And then, you know, assuming nobody gets hurt and Lynn looks like he's on track, maybe a bigger decision can be made. It, it, yeah. And and you're, you're totally right. Like that Dallas Keuchel is an easy target for all of us because he's been bad. Everybody knows Dallas Keuchel. So it's easy for everybody to get on board with, okay, there's something you can fix. You can get rid of that guy. But Mm -hmm. as as you indicated, the bigger issue is a lack of runs – and run differential. And I was talking with Dan Bernstein about this in transition, and for lack of a better word, it's pretty confounding why this offense doesn't work considering some of the talent in it. What have you seen as to why the White Sox offense cannot get it in gear? It it seems like a little bit of everything. I think, you know, probably the easiest way to sum it up is that they've had a hard time getting three hitters in the lineup functioning at one time. You know, it's been a game of whack-a-mole where, you know, Tim Anderson's been the constant, uh, but Luis Robert looks good. Jose Abreu is not uh, working well. And uh, Andrew Vaughn is hot, but not trusted yet. So he's in the back half of the order. Then Vaughn gets trusted, moves up, gets more responsibility. He gets hit by a pitch. Abreu gets hot. Robert gets hurt. Pollock starts warming up and then he gets cold. Like it's been, uh, you know, just a, a, a situation where even if you were to try to, you know, front load the lineup. So the hottest three hitters are going one, two, three for, for concerning stretches of time. That's been hard to know who those best three hitters are. And then I think the other issue is that just from the left side, you have Yasmani Grandal, who's been off to a really rough start. And I think some of it's been, uh, you know, bad luck, uh, you know, in terms of some of the balls he's hit hard have been hit too low to the ground, even if they're in the air. But also, like, I think his pitch judgment's a little bit off and he's being outguessed a little bit. Uh, you have Yohan Mankata, who was hurt, and then coming back, he hasn't quite looked himself, even like his last year's self. And then Gavin Sheets has struggled as well, um, and, and he's somebody who just you know hadn't had enough time to be trusted yet, and maybe he's showing that he's not worth that trust. But 
when you're banking that much on those three left-handed bats uh, helping to uh, confront good right-handed pitching, if they're not there, then the rest of the lineup, you know, that's why I think it's been so uneven. And that's why it's been so much on Tim Anderson and, uh, and he can't do it all himself. Yeah, absolutely. And there hasn't been that one guy that has just been like blistering hot and carrying the team. And, you know, we, I think that we've seen moments almost every year of Jose Abreu's career where it has been like that. And it has not been like that. Who knows? Maybe this is the start of something for Andrew Vaughn because he had the, the, the at the time, a huge three run double uh, in a, in a tight mm-hmm. spot. And then he hits a two run homer as well. What I'm waiting for with Andrew Vaughn is like, I mean, all the promise is there, and we and a lot of it we've seen in play in terms of his production. I'm just waiting for it to click in like consistently, where you know every day Andrew Vaughn is the guy that you want hitting second or third, that he might be one of your best hitters on the team. I don't know that it is there yet. I'd like to know what you think about his development and and it, where the where he is in the ceiling, and if he does have indeed more ceiling to get to. Yeah, he's a tricky guy to evaluate just because of the lack of a minor league track record and and him having to basically learn by doing at the upper levels. You know, and, and we're talking about the major league levels here. Just you know, double AA, A, triple A didn't have that, so it's the major leagues and. We were working off a blank script last year, and he did okay. Like I, I think he was, you know, partially, uh, you know, had to deal with the quality of pitching, particularly right-handed pitching. But he also had to deal with the grind of a his first ever six-month season against the best of the best, and he wore down his, uh, you know, I guess he had back and leg issues and such just from the strain of the season, and so that was a point of emphasis going into this year was just you know learning how to you know manage that routine and that in that grind and. You know, starting the season, it looked like he did it. It looked like his power was back. It looked like he, you know, the, the contact that died on the warning track, I guess, well, I guess it died on the warning track for a different reason this time around because the balls changed. But the contact looked stronger. The exit velocities were there. The, the barrel was on time. And then he just got hit by the pitch, I think, that, that that's uh, what disrupted that little run he was on. So, um, you know, should this be the sign of something or, or should the White Sox think like he's past his physical limitations, I wouldn't mind seeing him hit top four. I like him hitting second. You know, I don't mind if you know, Bray moves up to third, and then you know, if Robert comes back, maybe Robert hits second and Vaughn hits fourth, what, what have you. But I like him in the top four just because even when he's not uh, squaring everything up, his, his uh, plate appearances are still among the most disciplined on the team, and that has its own value, I think. I, I would like to see less of Yasmani Grandal for the time being, so bump him down to fifth or sixth, and then Try to go from there, but I, I don't envy Tony LaRusse in terms of trying to figure out with Robert out, with Vaughn just coming back and approaching something, you know, who are his three to four best hitters? Yeah. Yeah, he's got to figure it out. And yeah, the the, the Grand Isle thing really throws a wrench into it because he had been so good in like clutch spots and just his approach at the plate. And I know some people got on him last year for taking too many walks at times, but not having that at your disposal. And when I say at your disposal, a guy who knocks in runs when they are there for him, it really throws Mm -hmm. a a whole like wrench into the whole thing. Um, Jim, what I wanted to ask you about too is, and we're talking to Jim Margulis from Sox Machine. I'm Mark Grody filling in for Lawrence Holmes on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe it's just because we watch all the games, the White Sox have an inordinate number of either collisions 
or near collisions defensively. We saw it again last night in the eighth inning. People were still watching at that point. Lurie Garcia Mm -hmm. and Jose Abreu collide. They're both down for a while. They both get up limping. They both stay in the game. So you avoided that. There was a game, I don't remember which one it was, but there was it was a win for the White Sox where they where Josh Harrison and Andrew Vaughn nearly collided because Josh Harrison thought he was a right fielder. We know about the Alloy collisions. Is there an inordinate number of poor communication moments for the White Sox? And if so, why? It seems like it's uh, just based on, you know, you know like you said, we watch all White Sox games. We don't watch other teams, but we do watch the teams that play that are playing the White Sox. And, you know, they have those collisions once in a while, but not in a way that I think, you know, lends uh, itself to fear the way I talk to the TV and I yell, call for it, call for it, call for it, <laughs> stop running, stop running. Like just, yes. You know, I, I, stop I running. Like I'm talking stop running is yeah. the big one. The stop running yeah. one. Like, like, yeah, ideally you'd like somebody to call it, but when, when we're watching as the third party and you see two guys running and you know, stop running, stop, bail out, abort, and they don't. Yeah, I don't have that same reaction watching other teams, at least as frequently. But I think part of it, you know, like I would say the the the, the foul ball behind first base where uh, Garcia and Abreu nearly collided. That's one of those balls where I think it's you know um, it, it's a tough play for both players. Both had to you know just you know Abreu had to work on the angle. Garcia had to cover the ground, and so I can see neither having the confidence to think they're going to get there or nobody's going to get there. And that's I, I would chalk it up to bad luck, but it certainly you know, it doesn't look good after the day before, which is when Andrew Vaughn and, and Josh Harrison nearly yeah. collided. And, and watching that play, like, I, at first I thought Harrison, like, why is he that far out there? Right. But then I was watching, you know, uh, Vaughn, and, you know, I was watching his face, and I didn't see him calling for it. Mm. And Vaughn, you know, I think part of it's like an, an out-of-position thing or a lack of belief in their ability to cover ground. But Vaughn, you know, his his defensive numbers are pretty rough in both corners. And, mm. I, and I think a lot of it's just lack of foot speed, lack of range. Yes. And, and he takes cautious jumps because he can't really afford to go in the wrong direction, but that costs him as well. But I think there are a lot of balls that he just gets to um, that, that, that other right fielders would feel more confident about. And so if a guy like Harrison is going back and not hearing anything, he just might think did did Vaughn fall down or something like well, is there a, yes. is somebody absent. So I, I think there's, that goes into it as well. Well, a Steve stone theory right after the play or one of them was that Josh Harrison does not play second base every day for the White Sox. He's there. And, you know, there's a lot of flip flopping of outfielders and infielders. And if they're, if you don't have continuity at positions, then communication mm-hmm. becomes different and where you're playing becomes different. So I don't know, like if that's the, I don't know if that's a criticism necessarily because lots of teams use lots of different players at different positions, but it is a theory. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, maybe valid in, in terms of like, you know, Harrison being new and not playing much second, but also Vaughn being new. So yes. I, I think, you know, there it, it's a case where, you know, Harrison should know what he's doing at second base at all times. He's a veteran. He's played there a bunch for a bunch of different teams. And so he should be familiar with the unfamiliarity of new teams and new teammates. But I, I do think the Vaughn situation and rights, you know, uh, you know, not having a whole lot of confidence in his reads and maybe not calling for balls as authoritatively as other outfielders might, you know, probably um, exacerbates the issue. No doubt. Um, Reynaldo Lopez 
this year. Another, you know, and all, all relativity because it was a weird ass game last night. But Ronaldo Lopez, you know, another good two innings of shutout baseball. We've seen him get his fastball and his velocity back. It's like all of his powers are coming back, and he's been pretty good as a reliever. Does he, Jim? Is it possible that Ronaldo Lopez, somewhere along the line this year, gets another chance to to start? Could they possibly stretch him out? He's been in a, in a curious spot just because he, you know, I thought he was going to be the long reliever, the swingman type, but that went to Tanner Banks early. So, you know, Lopez, you know, as valuable as he might be pitching two plus innings, he really hasn't done that all year. You know, I, I think uh, yesterday was an, an aberration when it comes to his usage. So they haven't treated him like he could do that. But I'm wondering because, you know, as you mentioned, his fastball is back to where it was uh-huh. during his good full season with the White Sox. Like, he's never been a breaking ball guy. He's never been a guy who pitches backwards. He's somebody who really just competes with this fastball. And, and when he's locating it, he can strike out 10 to 12. If he's not locating it, it's going to be a struggle for him to get a quality start. But it's an above average pitch that he he competes with well. And it seems like, you know, he's had a few issues. Uh, I think, you know, a couple physical issues. He had the vision issues. And I think he's been a little bit of, you know, confidence slash bouncing between roles. But if he's back and this fastball is more than a one to two inning thing, then I'd be curious to see what he looks like. Cause you know, Davis Martin, I think is worth a shot. He's pitched well uh, so far with the assignments he's been given this year. So I don't mind seeing him, but if Martin doesn't work out or if he looks like the, uh, if he provides reasons for why he was off the prospect radar entering the season, I would not mind seeing Lopez get stretched out just to see if there are diminishing returns to him going beyond two innings because he's been this guy before. Yep. I, I think we can say that about him that we can't say about anybody else who's currently in the swingman position. For sure. And it will be interesting. He's one to watch for sure, and he's been good enough at what he has done, the role he has played for the White Sox for sure. So, Jim, here are the White Sox. They are 22 and 22. They are a 500 baseball team. They are right now, I think, four and a half games back of Minnesota in the division. Does it feel like to you the White Sox will eventually take off, or is it, or should we expect more middling from what you have seen? I feel like more middling should be expected just because um, yeah, it's the run, the run differential is, is the, the thing I'm, I'm struggling to wrap my head around. I think if their, their Pythag record is something like 17 and 27, like, so they're overachieving based on the runs they're scoring and, and how they're scoring them. So that's what makes me think like, this is going to be harder than anticipated to climb out of. This is going to require more than just the strength of, usual regression. I'm not, you know, I'm not chicken little here. I'm not going to say the, uh, you know, everything's falling on them because they have had legitimate issues like Moncada being out and, and, and the Apollo uh, should have gone on the, on the, or should have gone on the rehab stint after his injured list uh, stint and didn't, uh, you know, Vaughn got banged up. So they, they've had some injuries here and there, Aloy being out. Um, but, you know, every team has injuries. It's just more of a matter, I think, of the lopsidedness of the lineup and how limited it can be against right-hand pitching. And then also just, um, yeah, I, I guess the overarching thing to me is just the, you know, and, and I think this is why Keuchel annoys a lot of White Sox fans is there does seem to be, you, you wish you saw more urgency from the decision makers about, uh, you know, 
reflecting that the White Sox have played in as frustrating as a fashion as they are frustrating mm-hmm. White Sox fans. Like, you know, the, the lack of runs being scored, the squandered opportunities, the uh, days off, the shifting lineups, just uh, there isn't a whole lot suggesting that the White Sox are treating this like a problem. And, and to <laughs> some extent, they shouldn't. But there's going to come a time, I think, in the next two weeks, you know, we're talking about Keiko, we're talking about Josh Harrison, we're talking about me, Gavin Sheets. Some weak spots on the roster do have to be addressed, I think, by guys who might be able to replace that, you know, either in AAA or uh, people, you know, like we're talking about with Lopez, you know, currently on the roster, but in, in diminished roles. I, I think there will come a time in short order to where like they can make some moves to reflect that this current mix isn't working. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, I think, you know, plan A is it doesn't come to that, but I think the time for plan A is uh, eroding and plan B will be, uh, let's see what uh, Lopez can do. Let's see what Martin mm-hmm. can do. Let's see what Gilbert Sanchez can do. There, there are some options I think to at least reflect that, uh, you know, um, you know, what we're seeing without completely, panicking yeah absolutely and it's like it's an easy move to send a message that if you dfa dallas keichel again with that not being the biggest issue on this team but it does say something to your team to the fan base to the media if they need it that yeah we're doing something that said jim did Rick, because I don't know where you stood on this stuff before the season started. Did Rick Hahn um, mess up at all in the preseason? Should he have foreseen some of the issues that the White Sox are having right now and should have had another starting pitcher or another bat? Or is this something that he should not have necessarily foreseen? I think he did neglect the lineup okay. and, and particularly the issues against right-handed pitching. I think there were some flaws there. Like there was a point in the off season, as mentioned in that, in that really sweet intro that, that you guys made for me that at one point in the off season, they had committed more than $50 million to the bullpen. Uh, they traded Craig Kimbrell to alleviate that a little bit. Now they're only spending the third most in baseball. Mm. But yeah, the problem with uh, you know exercising Kimbrel's option is that they had to trade him for somebody versus having sixteen million dollars to spend any which way they pleased. So that's a case where I think where you know they 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 got Kelly and they got Graveman and they exercised the option for Kimbrel. So they're going bullpen, 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 and they're only. Uh, you know, notion towards the position player side was two utility players. They, they, you know, they retained uh, Larry and then they brought in Josh Harrison and right field was still uh, a, a chasm, you know, when it came to production there and they were still like, they still could have used some shoring up at DH and second base uh, was a little bit murky. So they had things to address and they could have mixed up some handedness things and just, they, they, they let it go. And, you know, I was of the impression that with Carlos Rodon, I think he was a gift last year at $3 million. It was going to be hard to replace him no matter what. Johnny Cueto might be the closest thing, and he might be fine to, to giving the White Sox what they need from that fourth starter spot. Uh, so I didn't think the rotation was that critical, but the lineup concerned me a little bit. And you know when they kept going with relievers versus uh, guys who could start, guys who could be good plan A's at positions, that's what concerned me a little bit. And that is uh, bearing out a little bit. Yep, no doubt. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, A.J. Pollock has not satiated the situation in right field like some of us thought he might. Last thing here, uh, Jim, I know you liked uh, Ray's sick opening, but a texter does tell me here, a 773 texter, that Jim is a huge, unapologetic Bob Seeger fan. Please work it into the conversation. Is that accurate, Jim? 
I think it's because of a comment I made about night donuts during a live chat that's uh, taken on some life. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this, there is a story. This is not necessarily you own everything Bob Seeger. I do not, but I okay. appreciate his canon, I would okay. say. <laughs> well, that he, he actually is looking into the to the Jim Margulis minutia. That's good, man. We want people to like hang on every word we say. So, I Jim, I think that's a win for you. I would take it. I I I take uh, you know even if it is like a little bit overblown. I, I certainly take no offense to any association with Bob Seger. He makes perfectly fine music. Amen. Perfectly fine is is the right word. Jim, thank you so much. Enjoy White Sox Cubs this weekend, and I'm sure Lawrence will be talking to you next week at this time. Thanks, man. I will try to enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you from both sides. I make no sides. promises. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, we will find out from both sides of town if it's going to be enjoyable because it has been decidedly unenjoyable from both sides of town in the last couple of days for sure. It just has it has not gone well in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, the Bob Seeger thing is interesting. And I think the texter said it right. He did use the word unapologetic because I do think that if your favorite act is Bob Seger, I do think you'd have to explain that a little bit. Like, Bob Seger's good. He's entertaining and his music comes on, like, in commercials and stuff. And it's not, it's like, it's, it, there's nothing bad about it. But to be the one that wants everything that Bob Seger is, I do think you need to explain that a little bit. I do think that that would require uh, backing up your, your position. You know, it's not an obvious one, Ray. Bob Seger. You're probably the biggest Bob Seger fan, aren't you? Oh, yeah. definitely. Definitely not much on my radar. Like, <laughs> like, like, like you say, I'm aware of him. Am I? Is that the first it's name? Fine. Yeah, it's it's okay. I'm not right. looking to turn on any Bob Seger though. Yeah. You know? When I'm, if, when I'm relaxing and having a drink. Right. If it's on, I'm not necessarily running to the radio to flip the channel, but I probably will flip. Within you know maybe after the first chorus of night moves okay I've heard enough of this I'm I'm on to something else I like Bob Seger but that not that much yeah I do think that that would require some explanation I need to take a break because coming up we are going to talk to Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun Times about the Chicago Bears we'll talk to Potsy next I'm Mark Grody filling in for Lawrence Holmes with Ray Diaz on the other side of the glass on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. I wouldn't read into that right now. You know, he's just getting back into action right now. So we're just seeing where he is with his uh, conditioning and those types of things. But ones and twos, we're moving all guys around. We have a bunch of guys with the ones, with the twos. We have some some threes in there, but nothing to read into that at this time. Yeah, I, I, you know, looking at him, like I said last week, I didn't get a chance to look at him. And now I've seen him for a week, and I like what I see. I mean, he's moving around really good. Uh, his change of direction is nice. He's got really good hands. As you know, he has good size. So now just really looking at his coverage ability, it's in a good spot, and it's in a really good spot. So we're just working with him and, again, trying to assess his skills, and we'll coach him as we go. Bears head coach, Matt Eberflus, right there, talking about 
Jalen Johnson, who was seen by all of us Bears reporters playing second string in an OTA the other day. I am Mark Grody, filling in for Lawrence Holmes on the Lawrence Holmes Show here on The Score. I'll be here until 2. That's when Parkins and Spiegel will move in. Looking forward to talking with those guys during transition. And apparently I need to do a deep dive on on Bob Seger. I have no problem with Bob Seger. It's just not a artist that I would typically associate with people having him as their favorite artist. Like, I do feel like... You gotta go. You gotta explain yourself on that. But an eight four seven texture says you guys can't be that musically ignorant. Do a deep dive into Bob Seger one time. That's all it'll take. Maybe I will. I'm not being sarcastic here, but I'll I'll come back to that. Right now, we need to talk Bears with Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun Times, and he joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What is going on, Potsy? I'm just trying to enjoy the offseason, Mark, just like you. <laughs> How's that going with going to OTAs and then having to come on the radio? Are you enjoying the offseason, Potsy? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty easy, to tell you the truth. After all these years, it's uh, it's uh, pretty formulaic. Uh, not this, but uh, certainly the OTAs. And, and especially after, you know, we see, you know it's, just, it's interesting when you've done it for a long time, or maybe even not, uh, you, you just, you, I think it's easier to put everything into context, especially with things like Jalen Johnson and the accolades for rookies and things like that. And you just realize, hey, this is fun to write about, I guess, but it all comes out in the wash in in, in August and September. And uh, and and so I've i take I'm taking the patient approach and. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it. As you should, as all of us should. But why was Jalen Johnson playing second string? It wasn't because he's not in shape, is it? That's you know, I will say, having just said what I said, I thought that was the most intriguing uh, uh, development of the entire offseason, uh, uh, even yes. more so than absences from OTAs and minicamps and stuff like that, because I don't know, it just seems kind of odd uh, and, and with little explanation. And I, I really don't know what it is. The only thing I can guess, I think, I think if, I, if you want to put a positive spin on it, is that I think I, and it's kind of more of a general thing about what Matt Eberflus has done is he's taken a very objective look at his roster. And, and he doesn't see everybody the same way that we do that, who have seen these players up close for, for a couple of years. And, and – uh, and and he's just not going to hand anybody anything. If you notice, I mean, he really doesn't even gush about Roquan, right. who's like the most solid player. He's the guy who, when a new guy comes in, he should be hanging his hat on and saying, "Hey, I'm you know I'm inheriting one of the best linebackers in football. I'm going to take him to another us, level." Lassie, they and, won't even know. tell us what position he's going to play. Like, I yeah. Don't so, but I, but I'll be honest, and maybe it's just uh, maybe I'm just kind of grasping for something positive. But I, I think that's a to me that's kind of refreshing after having again everything I talk about is all kind of colored by the fact that I've been through, and we've all, many of us have been through these things, these changes, GMs and coaches, so many times that this is all, it's uh, almost everything is cliche, and frankly, this is not, you know, the, the, uh, um, you know, him, him being uh, tepid about almost any player he has, I think it's good when you consider just where this roster is, and I think, I, so I guess I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, a, maybe he just doesn't think Jalen Johnson is, is as good as everybody else does. Maybe he wants to see more of Kendall Vildor against the first team or with the first team defense, whatever. Um, maybe he 
didn't like that Jalen Johnson missed uh, the the first mini camp. I don't know, but um, again, it will all come out in the wash in July, at the end of July and August, when we see where he is, and we also see how good he is in this defense. So, um, so yeah, it's it, it was very intriguing, interesting, but uh, again, not getting uh, too, not going to overreact to something like that. But it definitely was interesting, and like I said, I think it's good that Eberflus looks at the roster the way he does. It's one of a few things, you know, kind of little things I think that are that I think bode well uh, for him as as a head coach in the early going, not knowing anything about him. Yeah, because and it's good. You're right to your point because we do hold coaches typically accountable for their hyperbole when they speak about players so it's good to be a little bit tepid and judgmental or I guess the word would be objective about his players early on as opposed to as much as we want it and I've been trying to get it out of them any chance I can we want to hear exactly why is Justin Fields going to be good or great this year and the most we've got we finally got him to say Matt Eberflus finally got him to say that yeah, all his the, the way he throws the deep ball really like that, and I think that's the most concrete thing he's said about Justin Fields, the player so far. And that's not even that big of a deal, but that's how it's been in terms of trying to get them to give us an evaluation and how they really feel about Justin Fields. And where I'm going with this, Potsy, is it's you know what we have not talked about in a long time regarding Justin Fields. Is it still possible that Justin Fields is going to be great? Because we don't hear people talking about that possibility anymore. No, we don't. And again, that goes back to I think the way they this regime is looking at Fields. They're they're not propping him up as like you know the answer, uh, the franchise quarterback. I think they understand he can be. I don't buy the idea that they are not sold on him. There's no way those guys would take this job or these jobs and not and not have faith in. In a quarterback like that, but on the other hand, it's very possible that if they don't like what they see this year, they could move on and they could say we're going to get our own guy and uh, and uh, who knows they could have the draft capital to do something. So I think that again, it goes back to being objective about what they have and uh, and I think that's a good thing because two things about Fields we haven't really seen. Uh, I think we've seen some good instinctive things about him that tell you he could be good on a great team, on a good team, whatever. But on the other hand, we really haven't seen a lot. But also, and I go back, I keep going back to this, we've also seen the worst version of him because he was in a Matt Nagy offense that just wasn't very good and like made everybody look bad. So he could be better than we think. He could, you know, we could, he could be worse. But they're taking this year as just kind of a clean slate to get a to get a look at everybody. And and to, they're, they're they're taking this year to see exactly what they've got, and then next year is when everything starts. This is like I, I, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to find the way to describe it. This is like a free year, I think. <laughs> it's like a and buy it, year, which is yeah. really interesting when we cover the team every minute of every day. That makes it kind of difficult, but this really <laughs> is a free year for them, and I think even for Bears fans to kind of say, "Hey, they got a clean slate on on defense, a clean slate on offense, a quarterback that they can build with. Let's see what happens." And I just think that's, I think, frankly, I think that's the prudent way to do it, given this roster. One area that has been static for the Bears so far is offensive line, except for one guard spot, James Daniels.
Daniels' spot has really not been officially accounted for unless it is to go to Dozier. But Tevin Jenkins, Larry Borum, Cody Whitehair, and Lucas Patrick have been at your service in all of these offseason workouts. Do you think that that's what it's going to be? Because if it's not, there's nobody on this roster that is better than those four, or if you want to add Dakota Dozier as the fifth, you think that's especially the, those tackle spots. Do you think it's going to be Jenkins and Borum as your tackles? I think, yeah, I, I think so. I think they're going to end up with that unless some rookie really uh, and and rookie tackles very don't often you know earn a chance. You know, someone has to fail generally for them. Uh, unless they are slotted, uh, you know, at, at the beginning, which these guys are not. Uh, but I think I think they'll end up with those four spots. I think they will be as they are. I think they they probably are still looking for a right guard. Um, and and the question is, you know, you've got two second year tackles with a second year quarterback. And uh, but again, you know, Tevin Jenkins was drafted by a different regime, but was drafted to be a you know a starting left or right tackle in the NFL. And I and I. You know, we don't know that he is or isn't. So, um, again, it goes back to Ryan Poles, um, and this is, I guess, blind faith, but I, I find it hard to believe that a guy with a background in offensive line like him would leave the Bears in a lurch, I mean, that badly in a lurch on the offensive line with a quarterback as valuable as Fields. So I'm, I'm putting my faith in him that that uh, that uh, that he – that he knows the, this group, he knows this guy, and he knows the coaches. That you know, Chris Morgan can coach this group up um, to to be, be you know to, to to be you know better as a whole uh, than than the, than the sum of their parts. So um, you know, so we don't again. It goes. I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but it's it, we're we're in May, and so at this point, we, the answer to almost anything is we just don't know. And uh, and we'll find out. Yeah, and one of the answers that we've gotten a lot uh, from said offensive coordinator Chris Morgan, and I'm sure maybe Matt Eberflus has uttered it at some point in time too, and that is it, it's really hard to evaluate these guys when we don't have the pads on. Like that is for offensive linemen it's hard to get a read. So like in a lot of cases, when we ask questions very specific about the offensive line, it's like, yeah, they look good, but man, it's really hard to tell yeah. when they don't have the pads on Potsy. And how often do they actually put the pads on in the preseason? Yeah, well, you're right. So, and they don't even play preseason games that much anymore. Know, right? So it's really, it's really going to be a trial by fire, uh, you know, come September. But, but I will say, offensive line is the one, is one, not the one, is one function of a football team where you can have, you know, uh, um, uh, you can have a pretty productive unit without having name or proven players. So it can happen, and it's not even a shot in the dark kind of thing. It happens with regularity. If you look at the and I know the Packers have the best quarterback in football, or one of the best quarterbacks in football, but if you look at the Packers line that Lucas Patrick was a part of last year when Bakhtiari was out, that was a Bears kind of offensive line individually. But together they were ten times better than the Bears. So so it uh, it can't happen. And, and, uh, and, and that'll be one of the interesting facets of this offseason or this preseason and the initial part of the season is to see where they where they go with that because I think I think everything is putting their faith in Luke Getze. I think it's all about him and him designing an offense that can make this offensive line better than you think and make this uh, and make these receivers better than you think and just make this offense better than you've ever seen it. So um, it's it's really it's uh, it's really almost all on Luke Getze as an addition. If you're looking for what's going to make the difference, I think he's the key guy more than even Fields or any or Mooney or any other individual facet of the offense. Patsy, 
A plus stuff as always. Thanks for coming on with. Even though it's not the overnight, I know you prefer the overnight forum. I appreciate you you coming on with us here during well, the, the daylight. Well, we can still do that, Mark. Just to call me anytime. You know, I I, I love the unplugged nature of that. So. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, give me a call. I'll be happy to do it. I will. I will. I will do that. This is not one of those times where I'm just saying that. I'll be calling you for the overnight. Potsy, I'll talk to you later, man. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep, that's Mark Potash from the Chicago Sun-Times, one of my fellow Bears reporters, one of my colleagues, and uh, one of my favorite people to talk Bears and to talk sports with. And we didn't really have time to get into some of the what, what else Potsy would like to discuss, but I thought he gave us some pretty good Bears information right there. I'm Mark Rohde, in for Lawrence Holmes. We got transition coming up at the top of the hour with Parkins and Spiegel. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. This is Sports Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago's sports station. Maybe I do need to go deeper into the Bob Seeger catalog because I think what happens is sometimes if an artist is featured heavily in a commercial, that that specific song definitely loses its allure and its meaning. And God bless Bob. Bob making millions, I'm sure, or billions. I don't know. So God bless Bob. But I also just don't think that Bob Seger rises to the occasion of the category of potential favorite acts. And I was just surprised to hear that about somebody today. And some of the Bob Seger people have fought back. And I understand. I don't like Bob Seger falls in a special musical category for me. A, a act or a band that I would never go out of my way to listen to or to be a part of in any way, shape, or form. But two things. If you had a free ticket to go see Bob Seger, I'd probably go. I'd probably enjoy seeing Bob Seger. I'd be down with it. Maybe I'll leave early. I don't know. Uh, but I, I'd probably go. Like, Bruce Springsteen falls in that category for me. I'm not a big Bruce, but if somebody had a ticket, like, yeah, I'll go I'll go see Bruce um, for sure. I wanted to go. You know who I wanted to go see recently, Ray? I wanted to go see Justin Bieber because I wanted to see the spectacle but you know you got to sort of justify that so I asked my nieces if they wanted to go because we had some tickets available throughout the company they weren't interested they were like you got any Olivia Rodrigo tickets we like that sad stuff we like that driver's license business man I want to give Olivia Rodrigo a hug she just seems so hurt every twist and turn of her life but, uh, yeah, the nieces rejected me on Justin Bieber. I ain't, that would not be a good look for me to go solo to a Justin Bieber show. <laughs> that would not work. My cover is my nieces. That's why I got to go to see Katy Perry. They're my cover. And they did not want anything to do with Justin Bieber. Call us if you got Livia Rodrigo. I got to take a break. I've seen both Parkins and Spiegel wandering the hallways. So that means that they're ready. They'll be next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.